once you get a taste of it, for sure, you know what you want to go back to. You want to go back to that feeling. You want to go back to that. And I used to always tell myself that even when I'm dating, I'm like, if somebody's treating me bad, I'm like, I know what good guys feel like. I know what it feels like to feel loved. So why am I going through this trash with this guy? It's the same idea. And I go, okay, <laughs> I'm in America. I feel like all I do is take the subway, see nobody. At the same time, if I'm not going to see anybody besides like once a month or once a season, because we're all busy, then I can just live in Portugal and fly in once a month or once a season and see my friends then. What's the difference? I don't see you anyway. Hey everyone, welcome to Flourish in the Foreign, a podcast that celebrates, elevates, and affirms the voices and stories of Black women living and thriving abroad while exploring living abroad as a pathway to wellness. I'm your host, Christine Job, a Black American business strategist and podcaster based in Barcelona. I went from burnt out in the States to thriving abroad, and I want you to do so as well. As a business strategist, I help Black women and women of color leverage their talents and their expertise into viable and sustainable online businesses, businesses that make them professionally fulfilled and financially abundant. I help my incredibly ambitious and competent and brilliant clients utilize their magic in the pursuit of their own dreams. I take my clients through my signature 12-week sprint in which we go from ideation to purpose-driven business and sales. If you are interested in building a business abroad and taking your talents and your expertise and really utilizing them in the pursuit of your own dreams, in the pursuit of your own life vision, get at me. Go to the website www.flourishintheforeign.com resources and get my free build a business abroad guide and then go ahead and check out all the many ways that we can work together from helping you with moving abroad questions to helping you launch the business of your dreams. You can find out all of that information at www.flourishintheforeign.com. Flourish in the Foreign is a labor of love, but y'all know it. It's labor, nonetheless. And that is why I ask all of you to please support this beautiful Black woman podcast. You can support Flourish in the Foreign by becoming a Patreon member at www.patreon.com slash flourishforeign where I have an amazing library of articles all about moving abroad, thriving abroad from all around the world. So check that out and other resources exclusively for our Patreons. You can buy me a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com slash flourish foreign. You can cash out the podcast at dollar sign flourish foreign. You can purchase a piece of sorely needed podcast production equipment via our Amazon wish list, which you can find at www.flourishintheforeign.com support. 
And as always, make sure that you rate and review this podcast. It is so important. And share it amongst all of your friends and your family and on social media. Tag Flourish in the Foreign at Flourish Foreign and I'll be sure to repost. I'm looking forward to being a panelist for the Digital Nomads Beyond 50 Summit. It has over 20 panelists with over 25 topics, and it's a live virtual event of information and inspiration for those in their late 40s who have a location-independent life, plan to, or just curious. You're ready for this. Register now because early adopters get $10 off and 10% of profits will be donated to charitywater.org. You can grab your ticket in the description of this episode or on the show notes page of this episode or on the resources page of Flourish in the Foreign at www.flourishintheforeign.com slash resources and I'll see y'all there. All right, on to the next episode. Today's guest is Cha McCoy, and Cha is a sommelier, public speaker, and the founder of Cha Squared Consulting, which is a wine experience company. I came across Cha via Instagram, and her Instagram is so beautiful and so informative, and I just wanted to chat with her, and in our conversation, We really spoke about how it's so important to not only have the vision for your life and what you want to do, but also the tenacity because sometimes it doesn't work out exactly like you want it to. You know, thriving abroad, thriving in business isn't a linear path, but it is worthwhile if you are passionate and if you are purpose driven. But I'm going to let her tell you all about it. Hi, my name is Cha McCoy. I am from New York City and I am expat in Lisbon, Portugal, and I'm 34. My first time moving abroad was in 2010 and I moved to Italy. So that was, I'm actually a second expat. This is my second return expat adventure. And I was, yeah, so that was 10 years ago. And so I was 24 when I left. And I was there for about close to two years. So I was about 18 months to be exact. I was in Rome, Italy at that time. And then I returned back to the States for a long gap of time. But trust me, it's always been on my mind to return back to Europe in some way. I just needed to figure out myself, figure out life a bit. on Like, why would I come back to Europe? How would I get a job? All those things were on my mind, but I also did not find wine then as far as uh, my career path. And so I didn't know how to reconnect back with uh, returning back to Europe or moving abroad again. What was going to be my thing, like my purpose for moving abroad? I asked Cha if she had any early childhood experiences or family influence that planted the seeds of her desiring a life abroad. There was some important I guess if I was looking at it, we talk about our lives, probably like you may look at the someone that you thought was a great example of a mother or someone who had always went to work. You're like, Ooh, when I grow up, I want to go to work. I never really knew what it meant to move abroad or to be an expat, but there were people who were in my life who did it when I, when I was young, that I remember them telling me when I was growing up. So I had a vice principal who ended up turning 
to be our principal. She was a black woman in my elementary school. I believe she moved to Spain when she was in college or something like this for a study abroad program. So that was like the first kind of introductory. I think the first time I've ever heard anybody that was like from Harlem or from New York for sure, who said I lived here for whatever. Like, of course, I don't know what study abroad means at this point. I'm in elementary school, but she was the first person that kind of introduced me just by like sharing that she was living um, in Europe, that I knew that this was possible. And to return back, like she didn't move there and stay there for the rest of her life, but that there was such thing as like, like going out there and learning and then coming back. The next person around maybe high school, I was in a mentorship program and it was more profound with her story because I was like, she was my mentor, my one-on-one mentor. And I was probably like sophomore year of high school or so also a black woman and she actually moved abroad to was either uruguay or paraguay either way it was a country i never heard of before and i was like, so i was like where do you live and because because I, I realized she spoke spanish so well and i never like we all lived in new york and i still didn't speak spanish but i and of course we had a lot of people that was puerto rican here um dominican etc but I didn't grow up learning Spanish. And so I was, I thought it was like interesting that she knew Spanish. She said, oh, because when I was in college, I lived abroad in Paraguay or something. I think that one was the most impactful memory that I have of, of someone living abroad because I realized she learned this language while living in another country. And then come time when I was in high school, a little bit er- later on, there was an opportunity, which I guess I realized my mother was not going to let me go, but there was two people in my actual high school program who went and did an exchange program abroad. So I do recall, and her name is Rosemary, I never forget that, she was in my high school class, so either junior year or senior year, she actually was like gone the entire year and then like returned. And I was like, where where were you? And I don't remember what country she was in, but I do recall that she did a full study abroad program in high school, which so... These three, I want to say instances, was something that kind of sparked me about doing a study abroad program for when I actually left for college. So I was pretty much aware of it and knew it was a thing to go do study abroad. I ended up not doing it because I ended up pledging my sorority the year I was supposed to move to London when I was in university. So I did not do it in my undergrad, but but that's those were the early instances that actually made me feel like, oh, what's this abroad thing? Or I people leaving the country and going to countries that not that they have family in, but just completely random countries. Cha had the opportunity to study abroad for her MBA program. And so I asked her to describe what that experience was like for her. It was, I was, like I said, it was about 24, 25. So this was way later in my, like I already had a career started after college, et cetera. So it was a little bit different than like, oh, like I guess everyone else that I learned about who like picked up and went while they were still in like a transition phase. I was probably in more of a personal transition phase. And without going into too much about my life at that time, I was engaged. I was ready for a change. And I didn't feel like the relationship I was in was uh, gonna was going in the direction I wanted to go in. So I was ready for a break overall. So I had already enrolled and got into my to my university for my MBA. I was doing international business. I, after applying into the program, my graduate advisor basically told me that I can do like they would, I guess some people did just to get this exposure abroad too, because it was better for your resume was they went in for a month. It is like some classes that you take for like, like every day for one month. So it was like this intense course that you would do in like London, which I ended up still doing, but it was these different type of courses that they had abroad because we know, though we don't have a campus in London, we have a full campus in Italy. 
So Italy actually being because of the school, like they didn't have another place for me to go with my MBA degree. But people who did like study abroad in undergrad, they did have Spain, I think also France and London to go to. But this is more for people who were willing to like transition completely over there. And once I actually got to Italy, most of the program, because we had our own campus there, was 50-50 probably Americans who either came straight to this university to do their graduate degree. Most of them did like a master's in something related to like, let's say work related to the UN. Most of them went on to work for the UN or the World Food Program, which is also underneath like almost UNICEF and UN underneath these initiatives. There's a lot of people who came more for that. So it makes sense for them to do a master's abroad. And then the MBA program was a little bit smaller, but they were people who were already in corporate, but in Europe, Johnson & Johnson has a big headquarters in Italy. So our program was at night. So it was made as an executive MBA program. So people were doing a full-time job during the day, which is what I did originally here in New York. And then I end up going out there and quitting my job and then end up focusing strictly on my MBA program. So it was interesting to be in, let's say, an environment where I had a few professional Italians that was working next to me or in class with me. Then I had some Americans from different states. Then I had a couple of people that was from Croatia and Germany that came down to be a part of this MBA program. So it also gave me an outlook on just like meeting and being around just Europeans in a more collective way, not like in passing or in travels that I appreciated too. Because of course, we're, this is still school. We're doing projects together. We're working together, collaborating. Most people interned with each other if they were not already full-time companies there in Italy. So for a professional view, I really feel like it was a good step ahead if I wanted to continue in finance, which is what I ended up like minoring in. And I was going to do more banking, but that was like the original, like first start of how I got like the vibe of how people move. Like I didn't realize so much like people like, oh no, I'm going to fly here and be a part of this program. And then I'm going to apply for a job up in Germany. And I was like, what? You know, I guess because America is so big, we normally uh, talk like we're going to go from this state maybe to that state. And then that's probably the extent of it. But there to hear people saying, oh, yeah, they have dreams or goals of like applying for some corporate headquarters up in Amsterdam and then going to Sudan to do time in the um, Peace Corps. Like these were things that I never even thought of or knew people did personally in my circle. So it did give me a more global or worldly perspective on how I would say that I looked at life even today and how you look at business today, because there is probably a very... Not, a, not that there's a, a little bit, but I think there's just very few who think that way, who feel like we move with no boundaries. Like just because you studied in Italy doesn't mean that you have to come back and live in Italy. You can pick up and move to London the next week and see if that works out. And if that doesn't work out, go to another country. And so I like that kind of like freedom or flexibility that came with um, being around them as they describe their lives or their background when they moved or how they moved um, around Europe, at least for sure. I asked Cha, what was her experience with dating in Italy? So Italy was interesting. And again, this is pre the Tinder and all that other stuff uh, that we have now. But I would say I, I was still very much like fresh off of like breaking up a relationship, breaking up a relationship with someone. So in that case, it was, I wasn't really, trying to put myself out there. I end up meeting someone, I don't know how many people know, but I'm sure many of us is definitely like 
in New York. A lot of the friends that I grew up with or even relatives, if they were really good in basketball and they didn't make it in the NBA, they go move to another country. And so I actually end up having a friend through a friend who actually was playing basketball in Italy, who was from the Bronx uh, in New York. So in this case, he was in Southern Italy and his team was in Southern Italy. And so the guy that I did date while I was out there was one of his teammates. So I actually had a, like a, a relationship of some sort with someone who was from there, but it wasn't from like just passing them in the street. just because I had already a connection with his teammate. And so I felt very comfortable to be kind of like, like, I know he would take care of me or make sure this guy wasn't, you know, traveling to the different cities while I was playing basketball and like cheating on me. Like, so I was okay with venturing into like a relationship with him. I felt safe, if you want to say. Everybody else, I don't know what their like intentions were. It was kind of weird. I think a lot of people do think about how black women are fetishized in certain certain countries. And then I can definitely say there was a obvious difference when I was being looked at compared to my friends who were of other nationalities who were next to me while I was walking around. I was living in Rome. And so that always was something interesting. Maybe it worked in our favor. Maybe we get free drinks or something like this, or maybe a good conversation, or maybe someone's cute, which is it's it's cool for that time, but I never took it more seriously than that. I never like pursued it further because I was like, I'm not someone's, I didn't want that type of relationship. So that's how I thought of it. And then the other one, the only one guy I actually, I dated was black and he was from Cameroon. And it's like, he actually, by way of Toulouse, he was there or working in IT. So, so I do remember or recall like, these three people that I like dated, meaning like we went on several dates and made connections, et cetera. And I, maybe I would have probably been a little bit more open, but I think I was a little bit more scared than anything. And I think that language barrier, I was younger and I think being a little alone when I came out to Italy, that was my first time coming to Italy. I didn't do, I think that's the reason why I did something different when I came to Portugal, because I packed up all my things sight unseen, which sounds a little crazy, but to be honest, you just kind of hope that it looks the way it looks in the movies. And then, and then I just kind of went for it. And so I didn't, I never came and visited Italy before then. And so when I was there, I was a little I wouldn't say shy, but there were some things that I know now, and that was my first time abroad, but that I was a little bit scared to go to Florence without somebody. And I mean, I think anybody who traveled in Europe, you understand how easy it is to jump on a train and just get to another city in the same country, just like if you use the Amtrak in the States. So these little things I remember in the beginning where I was hesitant and I was like, didn't go do as much stuff until friends would invite me and I would go with them. Now I go wherever I want by myself on the trains and the buses and cross to different countries and stuff. But uh, I would just get to be on a train, like not being able to figure out the language and stuff. And then like people asking me questions and being lost. So it was originally a little like, okay, I, mean, I sheltered myself for a bit unless friends had me there. One of my closest friends is from Alabama and she, I met her through my MBA program and now she lives in Berlin. Germany. So, and I've been fortunate enough to go visit her several times in Italy because I continued to, she lived there when I moved back to the States. So every time I came back, it was like a good way to like reconnect with Italy, but to also check on her. And so we continued to be friends past that, but it was difficult probably for me to really deep dig deep into the Italian community. And even more so if people don't know, there's a Ethiopian community, not large, but it's present um, because of previous histories of um, the two countries. Italy or Mussolini at the time tried to be like the other countries were trying to like, okay, we're going to make the whole East Coast 
of Africa, Italian, like how the French took over the West Coast, etc. So clearly they failed, if you don't know history. So, so there's not a large population of Ethiopians there. But there are some, and I would have, that is something that when I look back at my time there, I wish I really did just dive deeper into the language. So I wouldn't feel so, I don't want to say nervous, but so I could feel comfortable just going into their houses with them. Cause a lot of them wanted me to come with them and chill and all this other stuff. But like, just to get a sentence out was like, like, cause they either had like a accent or something that I didn't pick up. So even if I knew the word, sometimes just hearing it differently especially with me as a beginner language learner, it was, it was a little mess. I was like, oh God, I can't, I, like I see she's laughing. I understand there's a joke happening, but I don't know what's being said. So, so it was always good energy. So Cha didn't go to school for vina culture or for winemaking or anything like that. And so I asked her to tell me what was her journey to wine? So when I was there, I actually did a friend from the program she was like, oh, child, let's go to like the vineyards on a weekend. And and I was like, oh, yeah, this sounds fun. Like we have this right in our backyard. And she's also from New York. And so I was like, yeah, let's do these things. The difference is that she was on a, there for like a, like a semester only. So she really was into like, she's here to do everything she can while she's only like here for. And we did like quarters. So she was there maybe for like three months. So I remember when she was there, it, it forced me to do a little bit more outside of what I was doing on my own because she was the one pushing it. Like, and so we was going to vineyards and I was like, oh, this is, this is fun. I love learning about wine, but I never really thought of it as a job or anything like that. But that was my first like official experience to go into vineyards, et cetera, was because I was already accessible to them from living in Italy. And then just being at the table, many people being from Europe and the fact that we lived in Italy and a lot of people who were there, they were studying the language. And so learning about the wine, everybody else seemed like they knew what they was talking about, except for me. So I was the one who was like, oh God, I got to figure out what's going on. Cause I'm just going, yeah, whatever she got, I want the same thing. She looks happy with it. I want that too. And I didn't really understand anything about food pairing, et cetera, but I understand that that be, to be a big thing for Italians, that food and wine is like hand in hand. I like saying that wine is also like a food group for them. And then I decided to fast forward when I came back to the States, I wasn't like, how do I still connect with the culture that I really loved from living in Italy, living my La Dolce Vita? I was scared that I was back in the States. I didn't want to come back here. I was having like extreme reverse culture shock. And, and then literally I was like, the first thing I thought of was like, oh, what about wine? Like maybe I can just do something with wine. And then, and then at that point I did have a little bit more Italian under my belt when I returned back to the States. And so it was interesting if, as you know, when you live in Spain, all the wine you have accessible to you is Spanish wine. You can't go like, oh, and let me you know, try these wines from Australia and let me try these German wines. So it was interesting because that's what I was now used to is like all this Italian wine from different regions. If you're lucky, if you had a really good wine shop, you can get ones that carry wines outside of the region that you live in. And so when I went back, when I was in New York, I was the like, I'm like, yeah, I know it's about wine ask me anything, but I only knew about Italian wine. So it was hilarious because I was like, oh, that's so then I realized that was the, like the door that opened was in Italy, but I realized I had no clue about how much more wine or how much more about wine. I did not know. Cause I felt like I knew it all from after like, I'm like, what? I spent time on vineyards. I visit uh, the, the winemakers. Like I, have, I probably have more experience than everybody in the store. But the fact is that at the end of the day, I need to do more than just sell Italian. So, so it was a, a nice way to kind of introduce me 
to wine, I should say. I probably came in a little bit more cockier than I realized when I came working at the shop. I realized I knew nothing about Burgundy, Napa Valley, anything. And then, then I actually started learning about wine from the, my mentor that I got at the store. And then the rest is history. I, that's where it all started. So Cha is well-traveled. She has studied abroad and now she is in love with wine. And she's starting to think about where does she want to be in this world. And so I asked her to kind of walk us through her thought process as she decided where she wanted to launch her career in wine. And so I started to travel to different countries, specifically to wine country, sometimes with people like my family came with me when I went to South Africa and then sometimes uh, by myself, like when I went down to Chile and I stayed two months uh, in Chile. And so I just kept hopping around to different wine countries at one point. I realized that's what I really love to do is like be on the vineyards talking with winemakers. And so I kind of like narrowed down my life because like I said in the beginning, I always thought I got to eventually move back to Europe or move back uh, out the country. Let's just say that move abroad again. And so I was doing my investigation kind of slowly by just doing visits here, visits there. And I narrowed it down to two countries. One at that point, I still never been to, which was Portugal. And then the other one was South Africa. And South Africa, the reason why that didn't win was simply because, well, let's just say the reasons why they both were my final ones. Lisbon or Portuguese culture was very much uh, for the wine industry. So both of them were wine countries, clearly. And then also they both, beach and sun was part of their white way of life. And so that was important for me being a New Yorker and having something different. And then also the cost of living. And so I knew that I probably would have to quit my job in order to, or save, and then kind of like figure things out when I got there. And so whatever country I had to be, had to be a place that was cheaper to live than where I was coming from. And so these were like my three main criterias. And so that's how come both these two countries were like high on the list for me. And I, and obviously at that time, I did start doing the investigation with Portugal because I came and stayed a month in order to, in 2018, to truly, truly see if I actually liked the way it feel before I committed to anything longer. And it was interesting because I remember like the last week or the last day, I wasn't even going home. I was flying into Germany and I was already at the airport, like almost about to cry because I was like, I don't want to leave. Like, I just want to stay here forever. But I knew, like, you can imagine at this point, I have so much back in New York to figure out on how to leave. What do I do? Did I have enough money saved? All these things that kind of made me feel like the, the the trip or the the idea of getting from making it like a one month trip, which felt like kind of, and remember, I still had a job then. So that, that kind of felt impossible to even pull off. So how am I going to get to actually being fully abroad again? And so that was the, the real leap was like trying to investigate how to do it, how to get out there or even just kind of decluttering my existing life so that I can really be able to get out there because I had to, I have my own apartment, I have a dog, I had a career. So there's a lot of things that I already had set my life up at this point in my mid thirties to really be able to actually make it out there. So this is before even like, can I survive once I get there? It was just kind of like, how do I get my life in order to be able to go? And I was just sitting there like, oh, my gosh, it's going to take me like over a year for me to get here full time because this is I have too much things that I have to get in order before I leave. So Cha decides on Portugal and, you know, Portugal, at least at the time of this recording, is still a fairly popular spot for expats 
for retirees, for people, people to visit. It's a beautiful, beautiful country. So I asked Cha why Portugal was the best fit for her. Everything when I when I arrived there, it was what I felt. It was it was it was kind of interesting because it wasn't like the summertime, so I, I expected to be probably a little bit slow. But come to find out, the it was a a popular month for conferences. So like you and I had talked earlier, Portugal relies heavily on tourism. And so that means they, when it comes to like conferences being held there, so they can like be able to have the city obviously thriving in slow months was important and things like this. So when I was there, it was like we landed and then all of a sudden, meaning we, I had a friend with me cause she was, we was in Spain together first. And so like the first week, she was there with me and then she she left to go back. And it was crazy because I was there and I wanted to like see how it is to live like a local every day. But it was so many tourists there. Lisbon is so small. And so this this is like the largest tech conference in the world. And it was swarmed with people from different countries for this conference. So it was kind of funny being in that first week with everybody flying in. But it just showed the livelihood, like the city was so much alive because of it. And so that was a good sign to see as well, without me being there in the heart of like July or something like this or August, just to see how the city kind of came came alive in that way. And then just slowly seeing how much opportunity it was again. I really didn't know what I want to do in the wine industry. I know I want, as a wine consultant, I wanted to work with vineyards and possibly do operations or marketing and sales for them since I was there. Um, do these kind of like business work. I do have my MBA and I have a career of um, doing a lot of work with large corporations. So in my case, I feel like these smaller companies can use my help. So in my mind, that was like, okay, I have what it takes to be able to work for any of them. So let me just get my stuff in line and I need to just be in the wine industry doing it so I can be able to flourish. So that's why I came out there originally, or that was the first breath of it. It was like, I see an opportunity with the Portuguese wine in the American market and a Scandinavian market, but they just need help, I realized. And I thought that I can be the one to help them. And so that's that was like the main part too, when I looked at like, oh, is there something for me to do here? What can I really create here? What can I get going? So that was the original thing. And then tourism, I'm really big into the tourism market with wine tourism specifically because of all of my experience, personal experience. And I've also hosted trips as well as did itinerary planning and trip building for people who were interested in gastronomy adventures. And so that's basically what I thought is that if I'm, I'm abroad and in a country that is focused on wine and I can help people when they come here and be their destination manager, whether it's for larger groups or family trips or whatever. And so that also was a, a good reason because Portugal is closer than South Africa ends up being the reason why Portugal ends up winning. My mom lives alone in New York City, so that was important for me to have some what of a some sort of access. It was a lot of straight flights. I say it was because of the pandemic. There's not too many straight flights these days, but yeah, normally there is straight from New York to Lisbon. The flight is about six hours, and I have family in, in California, and it takes me about six hours to get there. So in my mind, I like calling Portugal the other coast. <laughs> so. That's how I make my final decision. I asked y'all to tell me what that first day and those first couple of days, weeks, and months were like when she had landed in Lisbon. When I first arrived, it was interesting. I always uh, remember telling people, like, you would thought, like, did they drop us off in, like, Africa? I've never seen a European country with an entire airport. Everybody is Black. <laughs> it was, like, 90% Black. And I think because, like, 
so many countries in Africa use Lisbon as its uh, hub before it goes to other countries too. And then there's a lot of people who actually is coming in from Angola or Mozambique, et cetera, to come to Portugal. And they have family here and then they go back and forth, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's, I guess that visual also was very impactful to how I looked at it. It's like, oh, okay, well, that was a wake up call for me. I'm not used to seeing that when I fly into European countries. So, and I've been to a, quite a few, a lot of European countries. So I thought that was interesting. So I knew immediately that we would like blend in, like in this case, when my, my first visit with my friend. And so when we were there, or I could say like just from living here, it was easy to be able to actually do that. Many people didn't know the difference between if I was Angolan, Brazilians thinking I'm Brazilian. It was a lot of that. And so like, and they really thought I was lying. It was like, I was like, no, I'm from New York. They was like, no, you're from Sao Paulo. I'm like, no, I'm from New York. <laughs> like, and so I'm really trying to get them to like, understand I really don't speak Portuguese. I am, well, now I, I'm learning, I should say, but, but it was interesting because people were really thinking that I was being rude to them because they're looking at me and talking or they expect, or, or they, maybe they don't, they're not looking right at me. Maybe they're behind me and trying to try to ask me to move or trying to ask me a question to get my attention, but I'm not paying them no attention because I, it's in Portuguese and I'm not even thinking they're talking to me. And so they misconstrued that with me, me ignoring them. And so, so that was, that's an interesting thing that happens too. So, but I'm really set on trying to learn the language in real life. So hopefully that won't happen as much anymore. I hope you're enjoying this episode of Flourish in the Foreign. And if you are, be sure to take a screenshot and tag at Flourish Foreign across your social media and share it with the world. Let everyone know that you are listening. I really appreciate all of your continued support of the podcast. Please consider supporting the podcast via Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Flourish Foreign, via Buy Me a Coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com slash Flourish Foreign, via Cash App at dollar sign Flourish Foreign, or purchase a piece of production equipment via our Amazon wishlist at www.flourishintheforeign.com slash support. Any amount is greatly, greatly appreciated. To learn more about this episode's guests, be sure to check out their show notes at www.flourishintheforeign.com slash episodes. And if you are looking for resources to help you get, stay, and thrive abroad, be sure to check out the Flourish in the Foreign resource page at www.flourishintheforeign.com slash resources. All right, let's continue the show. And by the way, my background before, if you're listening, was in engineering. So you can only imagine I'm switching a career. I'm making a full career change, which working in wine is obviously not as much money as working as an engineer. And so... I'm already switching a job that's going to pay me less, but I'm also moving at the same time. And not only am I moving, I'm moving to a new country. So it's like these three new things on top of each other was a little bit too much. If, if I was talking to myself two years ago, maybe I would have quit my job, see how I could build clients first in the U.S., 
build that up, see what I needed to change, what my business, see how that worked. And then I probably would have moved abroad. That would have probably been easier because then I would have had my feet wet in it. So I was new at, you know, being an entrepreneur at the same time, being in a brand new country and learning about their market. So that sounds like a crash and burn scenario, if you can imagine. But it did teach me a lot about myself. It did teach me about what I'm like, endurance, like what what do I have in me? What am I able to do? It did give me experiences that I probably would have never done if I had already all these clients abroad and clients already that I'm grateful for. I ended up working at a fine dining restaurant as one of the sommeliers there. And so that was an experience that being in a New York City, you got to kind of be like almost like the best of the best to be on the floor. Here, not that I wasn't good, it's just that I was the foreigner who can speak about wines from different countries. And so I end up being someone who can tap into the tourists who would come from London or France because I actually had a lot more exposure to those wines from being from New York versus someone else being from Portugal. So I spoke the language of wine that allowed me to actually get a position and then I, I know how to, like, I, they tested me before I came in. So I actually uh, passed the test before I started on the floor. And so those are the type of experiences that I can't take back. And it, it actually, that's different than when I lived in Italy and I talked about earlier, because since I actually worked in Portugal, it actually gave me a new community that I was part of, like people who literally worked, worked and lived in, Port, uh, in Portugal, which... I didn't have in Italy because I didn't work there. Oh, I was mainly with other foreigners more than anything than actual Italians. So now I'm more connected with the people who are, you know, struggling to make a living there, working two jobs because that's what I was doing. And so I realized that's a big difference too, because when you work as a consultant, whether it's online consultant for another company, if you, if it's in America, et cetera, and, and then you're going to just fly into Portugal or Spain, et cetera, you, you don't feel the people besides if you meeting them some other way. But the way to that I was able to easily meet people was one, visiting the wineries, of course, but then on top of that, um, actually working on the job and making friends through that, meaning making friends with other wineries, making friends with a couple of people from the actual restaurant, making friends with distributors who used to distribute the wines. So now I have a few people that I'm connected to and they know who I am from the restaurant. Like, oh yeah, that's the girl that worked at, you know, this restaurant there. So it actually kind of helped me to have a calling card for myself when people were trying to connect me to things like, okay, we know who she is and we know why she's coming to our, our vineyard. She's the sommelier from that restaurant. And so that helped me to establish myself with, with the smaller community of wine folks. There's a lot of expats there, mostly tech people. And I think that being around them, I understand that they, they play at a whole nother level. They, they get to hop in, oh, I'm only in Portugal for six months and then I'm going over to this country. So they, they move a lot more versus I learned this term, terminology, terminology from a chef that was actually living in Portugal from the States. And she said, no, she calls herself a slow mad, meaning she's a nomad, but she moves slowly. So she stays in places much longer. And I said, okay, that's exactly my speed. I'm not, I'm not usually into like, I'm just popping in for three months and then I'm going to Croatia for three months. It looks enticing. I do see people doing it, but I also have a dog. And so for me, my dog is also very important for me to like stay put, plant roots, meet the people in my community, 
find a vet for him so so people know me in my neighborhood i asked cha if she spoke portuguese and what it's been like for her learning the language but also whether she felt it was necessary to know portuguese or to be fluent in portuguese to live and work in portugal i can't say that enough especially if you live in a, a place and you want to find a job there again doesn't mean that there's no english speaking jobs available i'm just saying that that would having some sort of that language background will help you find a job sooner. And if you're freelancing and you're relying on that local economy to help you, like in my case, I was relying on Portuguese winemakers to hire me. Though they speak English, I do realize that if I spoke Portuguese, it probably would have helped me do a lot more things in the local market in Portugal for them than to just kind of push things for them in, in, the, in the States. So I understand that that would have helped too. And I didn't mention, I actually did have someone that was in my class who was an American. I did take a, a course of executive wine program at a university in Portugal. And I recall when I was there, there was someone, she was new to wine uh, industry, but she did get her MBA in Portugal. And she also, she also knew the language very well, as far as like from living in one year in the amount of time and effort, you could tell she put into learning the language. So she was able to get a job probably like she graduated she gra and she got a job in like three months for like one of the top wine, wine uh, makers in Portugal. And it's crazy to think that because I always kept looking like, how was that possible? But I already know it's because she knew the language well, or at least spoke it confidently enough to like go into the office and work in the office. And she didn't have to actually use it every day. She actually was in charge of like markets like Poland and Germany, where they weren't expecting her to speak uh, Portuguese. So I think looking at the world in a way where I can't express enough that I think that if you go into a place that's not Australia or London, where speaking English can get you very far, of course, because that's their native language, actually invest in the time to learn um, that second language or third language will, will be able to help you a lot professionally and personally. I loved my time hanging out with friends that's from Brazil, a lot more people from the ex-colonies. They don't speak English, unlike the people from Portugal. So a little bit amount of Portuguese I know, that was not helping me. That's not That didn't help me in Italy, which I noticed with the friend I was uh, kind of making from Ethiopia. And it also wasn't helping me with the people I like hanging out with that are from Brazil or the communities that were heavily populated were Angolans because I can't go walk into those neighborhoods confidently because I can't speak to no one. So, so that's something very important for me. I don't know if everybody else cares about that, but I do care about building real community, especially with people of color. So an aspect of moving abroad that is obviously not sexy, so it's sometimes overlooked, but is incredibly vital is the visa situation, right? Like, can you legally be in a country and can you legally do the things you're trying to do in a country? So I asked Cha about her experience getting a visa in Portugal and any advice she has for all of you. Every country has their own like rules and regulations about getting what type of visa, how you get the visa, all these things. Like there's some things I thought this came automatically because I had my visa and that wasn't the case. Like I still needed to get a healthcare number. I still needed to get a number, this other number we called NEF before you get a bank account. I needed to, like, it's a lot of things, little things that you have to do in the system. My social security number, which ended up being very important, but I actually got it because I got a real, I got a job from a Portuguese company. So it kind of came to me automatically, but that wouldn't have, I wouldn't have gotten that 
on my own. These little little things that I didn't know about until I arrived and actually started learning about how to fully be, because I, I do plan on having to get my citizenship for Portugal. So knowing these things were very important to me so I can even one day open a business there, which is my plan to have my own wine bar in Lisbon. I wanted to know what dating was like for Cha in Portugal and how that differed from her experience in Italy. Dating, when I first got there, I, a couple of guys piqued my interest, let's just say that. And But it was still kind of, most of them, let's just say this, most of them were definitely of African descent, meaning they were either first generation Portuguese, and then their parents were from Angola, Mozambique, or Sao Tome, and or some Cape Verdeans, of course, are there too. So they were in that pile of guys, or they were actually from that country, and then they moved to, and they moved to Portugal. So in that case, I didn't really know if they were going to be here long term. They didn't really know if I was going to be here long term. So it was always like, well, I guess when I say we kept it light, but, and then I also did, I had a few friends that were also Portuguese. And I think this guy, we could have probably hit it off or been together longer, but I feel like a lot of, a lot of Portuguese is, is interesting. They look at, I'm from a small country. I got to go to a big country like America, like China. And so they have this kind of nature in them like, oh, I, we're from explorers. So they like the idea of like traveling abroad. They're not really shy about that. So even if they have like no money, they're like all saving up to go live in America or to go live somewhere else. So um, in London, a lot of them lived in London already, et cetera. So, so when you get there, you'll probably be surprised, which is also some re reason why I picked uh, Portugal as a European country, because I wanted to work in this industry in wine, but also a lot of people speak English there because of them flying to London often, or because of them wanting to be able to communicate with the people who were visiting and who they were doing business with. Portugal is a one, it's already a small country. And then at the end of the day, they don't have too many people near them, meaning it's the only country that speak Portuguese in that area. So if they wanted to make money and do business with people in Germany, France, anywhere else, they need to learn those languages. So there, I think that being in Portugal, it was kind of amazing, even working in Portugal, how many languages of one person could speak. Like I can hear someone service one of our guests in Portuguese, Portuguese and then at the same table, speak to that person fully in Italian and then turn around and talk to that person about the menu in French. And so I was like, this is astonishing. I've never, I've never been anywhere where this was even something expected of someone to do all of that in one, at one table, talk to different groups and fluent versions, you know, of that, of their native language. And so instead of just like, oh, we speak English, it was like, they speak a lot of languages because they want to be able to get the tourism dollars. They want to be hospitable to people who are coming from other countries. And so it actually works in their favor. And that's why everyone loves Portugal, whether you're Chinese, whether you're French, whether you're British, because they have this like very warm feeling. And then I think language is definitely one of those special things. I asked Cha to share some advice for all of you listening that may be interested in moving to Portugal. So I would say that as much research you can do in advance, I would say I made, I don't say I made a mistake with my visa. I was really in a place where I really needed to leave. And you and I discussed this before. I really just wanted to like, I needed to, and I was like, oh no, I can't stay in America another day. I, like I just, I couldn't do it. So I kind of left it where 
there was a lot of question marks about my finances and that I would like to have had an order before I left. I did have savings, but I didn't know, of course, that wasn't going to last me forever. And so that was important for me to have figured out what would be my next step after I didn't have savings instead of just wishing it. But I do know that I wouldn't take it back mainly because now we're in a pandemic. So thank God, if I waited to this year, it saves everything that I was supposed to. I probably would not have left anyway because it would have been a pandemic. Because I kept saying to myself, I was going to leave in 2020. I was like, yeah, that sounds right. 2020, fresh start. That's going to be perfect. January 2020, that's when I'm going to go out there and do this and and be there full time. So I kind of like, I went prematurely, to be honest, but my spirit needed me to leave. And so as much as I would like to tell somebody like, girl, don't go until you had everything in order. But everything in my body needed me to leave. And I actually spoke, talked to my mother about that because obviously I, I did struggle for a while out there financially. And I remember mainly because you have to understand, I don't speak Portuguese. I felt like if was there jobs available and I have two degrees, if I spoke the language, if I was in England or somewhere, I think that I would have been able to find a job easily. It's just that I didn't speak the language. And so there is when it comes to like working in corporate or working in certain structures that I didn't have the language behind me for them just to like hire me. People always say there's tons of jobs, like you could work at telemarketing. But I like what I heard what they was getting paid. I was like, there's no way I could spend that many hours doing that. And I'm not, and it wasn't helping me build my career in wine. So I just had some kind of like, I did have standards, let's just say I wasn't going to just work anywhere. But I also realized that when I talk to people who do live abroad, they had to do like anything just to survive at first. And I do, not that I wouldn't take anything away from that. I just knew that if that was the case, I would, I didn't have a bad life in New York. I would just move back to New York and figure it out and just come back. And so I, I had to give myself that space to allow that to be possible. I think I put so much pressure on trying to be there full time and like, I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. Now I got to go because I told everybody I'm about to go. So I got to go for real. I got to go because I moved all my stuff out of my apartment. So I got to go for real. I put so much pressure on that, that to be honest, I would have preferred to not have, like maybe if I took my time, I could have got there and, and had my feet a little more planted. I am the kind of person that just like, sometimes I do like just to take the leap. And because if I think too much, I'm going to stay and like I did, I, like I was told myself every part, every year after I moved back from Italy that I was going back abroad. And then it wasn't until 10 or nine years later for me to get me back to another country to stay. So to be honest, if it wasn't for me just taking the leap, I probably, who knows, it would have been 2030 when I left in real life. But so I guess if for whoever's listening, I really do think that you got to find what you're comfortable with. Wellness. Wellness encompasses every aspect of our life. Y'all know what it is. Wellness is not just self-care Sundays in the bubble bath, although I enjoy that immensely. Wellness is your mental, your emotional, your financial, your professional, your physical well-being. And so I asked y'all, how has living abroad influenced not only her practice of wellness, but also her concept of wellness. I I guess you could hear in both of the two times that I decided to leave America, I was really searching for a sense of self and more connection back to myself. It's kind of weird to think I had to go some like completely move somewhere else. 
before it was right after breaking of a breaking up of my engagement and really trying to reconnect back to myself. And I, and I didn't know that that would happen when I was out there. I just knew that I needed to be away from the normal routine in life. I needed something to kind of like re-jump my, my life. And I knew that that was happening, that I was opening myself up for that. And thanks to the book, Eat, Pray, Love, I, I believed in it. <laughs> and so, because that was the time when that book just came out. So I read the book and I can, I can say that's why I thought that Italy would be a good, good, uh, good excuse, right? Anything pizza all day sounds great, right? And then, so I really felt like when I actually saw, like meaning like being in Rome every day, hearing the sounds outside my window, walking the streets, getting gelato at midnight, these are the small things that when I came back to the States, I cherished. Looking at the Vatican, I had double balconies, girlfriend. I had a balcony off of my kitchen and I had a balcony off my bedroom. <laughs> I just had to sit out on my balcony, have dinner every night. These are the type of things that I didn't know what to expect when I was out there. I kind of you know, took the leap. But when I came back to the States, I was like, nah, like, I needed an exit plan. So I tried it coming back to the States and really did have a, good, I have a good life here. I set up a good career for myself, but I felt like there's always something missing because I know that kind of like breathing moment, just like having this fresh air, literally like of just free thoughts, people not knowing what I, people not knowing exactly like how old I was was also funny because people then people were like, oh my God, I couldn't believe you that you're that old when I was 25. So imagine people now that I'm 35, people think the same thing of me then. They were they, they like, what's your about like 25? And I'm like, yeah. So I like that fact that I'm just like, I get to be myself and is just like really enjoy my life the way I want to live. And I could be as fast or slow into it. I do think that, I, well, I did learn that even with the financial struggles that I had this past year out there, that a lot of that, that's the good reason to make sure you make money or have some stream of money coming in. Because even though I was living abroad, hustling and grinding and getting home from work at 3 a.m., did not, I didn't maintain that same quality of life that I wanted that, for the reason why I came out there. So I understood how important it was or it is to make sure that you can do those things that people may see on my Instagram now. Or when I want to go to the beach, I can just go to the beach. I don't have to like, I'm like, it's Tuesday. It's 95 degrees today. I'm not working. I'm going to the beach. I, I wanted to have that freedom to do that. But when you when you hustle in and you have to be like on the grind every day, you have no days off, Saturdays and Sundays included. And so, so I did want to get to a point where I can be financially stable enough to be able to survive there and like be more calm with myself and, and enjoy the reason why I came there. Walk my dog for long walks along the river, the River Tejo that we have in Lisbon. These are all things that I think about that make me feel like, wow, this is why I like living here. This is why I love living here. Um, going to the vineyards on the weekend, whether it's for fun or for learning. It's, for me, it's one and the same because I've now created a lifestyle from transitioning from engineering full-time to wine. That was also a self-care choice for myself, for my well-being, I should say, because at that time I was working in corporate here in America and I really was making a difference between like, do I want to continue climbing up this ladder or do I think of the world in a different way? And so I really, and I know because I've already had the experience from living in Italy on what to expect in a different country, especially in a Southern European um, lifestyle. So anywhere from Greece to 
Croatia to Italy, Spain, or Portugal. These are places that were like really like the lifestyle I wanted to live. Or Southern France would be nice too, but I mean, I don't got Southern France money, <laughs> maybe one day. But but yeah, so I really knew that these are the places that really connected with me. I always kind of, I always tell my mother who's retired, I want to feel like I'm like, like I'm working and making money, but I want to feel like I'm retired. Like, I don't want to feel like I'm doing so much things that's so exhausting. And if it is tiring to me, it's because, but I love doing it. Like I love being able to go to vineyards. I love that the hardest part of my day was coming up with wine pairings to go with this new cuisine that we add into this menu. I don't want to feel like I had to like stand on my feet all day though, like in a restaurant until from four, I used to go to work at 4 PM and leave at three in the morning or get home at three in the morning, excuse me. So that like those type, that's a different like life. I was like, no, so I have to know my boundaries on even in this new industry and in this new world, what I'm willing to do and, and create that for myself. So I think that um, going abroad to me or moving to Italy and then Portugal has allowed me to, once you get a taste of it, for sure, you, you know what you want to go back to. You want to go back to that feeling. You want to go back to that. And I used to always tell myself that even when I'm dating, I'm like, if somebody's treating me bad, I'm like, I know what good guys feel like. I know what it feels like to feel loved. So why am I going through this trash with this guy? It's the same idea. And I go, okay, <laughs> I'm in America. I feel like all I do is take the subway, see nobody, whatever. At the same time, if I'm not going to see anybody besides like once a month or once a season, because we're all busy, then I can just live in Portugal and fly in once a month or once a season and see my friends then. What's the difference? I don't see you anyway. So we are always grinding, 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 but I would prefer to do it and get a suntan or be on rooftops on Friday nights with my tender dates. So these are the things that come with the extra luxury of me living in Portugal versus me living in New York. There's rooftops, by the way, everywhere. And we call them in the summertime. They don't say, oh, meet me at the rooftop for like a drink or for happy hour. They go, meet me at the sunset. It's such a beautiful way to think about it, right? It's like, oh, yeah, because you know that once you get up there, it's the nighttime or it's after work hours. So the sun will start to set. So I'm like, oh, let's have a sunset. So that's, that's also a terminology we use when we're going for drinks and it's like at the sunsetting hours. So, so things like that just continuously made me feel like there is a life worth living that's not surrounded by material things and all these craziness that we kind of like strive for, especially here in New York. I had a great week if I was able to like eat at whatever restaurant I wanted that weekend, cook myself a really good meal, walk my dog early enough that he was able to go outside and see the sun too. Very low style of living. I, this is what I, you know, trying to achieve a more minimalist lifestyle. And, and I've realized that my self-care usually feel more, I feel more centered when that's my thing. Not like, oh, we're about to go to this. We got to go. I got to get a new outfit. I got to go here. I got to do all these things. Oh, I have to. And in New York, it's like a, it's like a ball that never just stops rolling. Like as soon as you got over one deadline or one project, or you just went to this one event that was major, there's another one coming up. And I like the idea of being tapped out of it so I can just breathe. And I do know that being between both countries now, because of the pandemic, it's very important for me to also be truly tapped in to, or I hope anybody who's listened to this, to the economies that's going on in multiple places. So, so never be fully invested in one place, I would tell anybody. I feel like even if you're living in one place, just know what's next. Because even though Portugal may be hot today, there's another country that's going to be the new Portugal in another five years or 10 years. So if you are into like growing economies and how the world works, I really think that may 
help everybody's industries and businesses. And so you can still live in Portugal, but then maybe you may figure out who you need to attract and be able to help them one day. Thank you so much for sharing your amazing story with all of us. And if you uh, want to stay connected with Cha, you can via social media. You can always find me on my website is my name. So it's Cha McCoy, C-H-A-M-C-C-O-Y.com. On Instagram, I'm Cha underscore squared. That's C-H-A underscore S-Q-U-A-R-E-D. And then you, I'm doing virtual wine tastings now, but I do wine tastings in Portugal when, when people are there and take them to wineries. I do group trips. I do, I plan trips for other people to actually go to Spain, et cetera. If they want to do trips to Spain, learning about wine and food culture, et cetera. So hopefully there is a opportunity to work further with you all who are listening. So, so anybody who want to learn more about wine or tourism, et cetera, in these, in these countries, please feel free to reach out. And I wish you all the best, anybody who's inspiring to move abroad or Portugal specifically. Thank you again for listening to this episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. And if you did, please consider becoming a supporter of the podcast. You can do so via Patreon, buy me a coffee, cash app, or by purchasing a piece of production equipment via our Amazon wishlist. You can find all the links to all the ways you can financially support the podcast at www.flourishedintheforeign.com support. Make sure you rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen to this podcast. And while you're at it, be sure to head over to the website where you can get more information about getting, staying, and thriving abroad. You can learn more about each of the guests that have been on the podcast. You can see their pictures, you can read their bios, and you can stay in contact with them via their websites and their social media. Be sure to also check out the resources page on the website www.flourishintheforeign.com slash resources to check out some products and services that can help you get, stay, and thrive abroad. As you all know, I am a consultant and I do offer one-on-one -on -one calls. So if you have questions about moving abroad, you can book a consultation with me. If you have questions about building a business abroad, you can also book a consultation with me. And if you are really ready to launch your business abroad and take it from idea to purpose-driven business and sales, or perhaps just scale your business to financially support yourself while you're abroad, definitely apply for my 12-week sprint program. And you can learn more at www.flourishintheforeign.com slash Christine. And that's where you can book in all of your consultations and get all of your questions answered. If you have not grabbed my free Build a Business Abroad guide, what are you doing? Go ahead to the website www.flourishintheforeign.com slash resources and grab that today. Hey, are you thinking about launching your own podcast or you want to increase your reach of your podcast or monetize your podcast? Well, 
I highly suggest joining the WOC Insiders membership. It's a membership that has really been helpful for me as I have grown Flourish in the Foreign. There is so many resources there to help you with engagement, marketing, legal, and everything else you need to have a successful podcast. Join WOC Insiders membership today and use my affiliate link, which you can find in the description of this episode on the website, www.flourishintheforeign.com resources. It's at no extra cost to you, but it is another way to support this here podcast. As always, thanks to Zachary Higgs, who produced the music for this podcast. He is an amazingly talented producer. So if you need music for any of your creative endeavors, he is your guy. You can find out all of his information in the show notes. Thank you all so much for supporting this podcast. Thank you so much for believing in the voices and stories of Black women. Please take care of yourselves today and every day. And please remember that it's not about getting abroad. It's not about being abroad. It's about thriving abroad. So go abroad and cultivate a life well lived. See you next time. Bye. On the next episode of Flourish in the Foreign. I remember arriving in London and I was like, wow, I am really here all by myself. Like, it's different when you have to get all your luggage by yourself even. Like, I'm usually used to having like my parents help or friends help, but I had to like get all my bags. And it was like, it was just like, I don't know. I just had this moment of realization, like, wow, you're really about to do this by yourself.